Hey everybody, welcome back to We've Got Ward, a doof media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and this is my co-host Scott Daly, hand-selected by a tinker to annoy you with his hot takes. Torture is bad. Scorching. This is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wild Bo's world of needles! angelic assholes and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial matt we have two chapters filled with a ton of action and a ton of dying what did you think of these two chapters yeah i mean these were painful in a good way right like i i mean i think i'll probably say this a bunch of times or, or this will be one of the main topics of discussion today anyway is that i feel like these chapters on a writing level and also um within the story teacher's plan is to wear down our characters is to Mm -hmm. make them cross lines, basically damage their, their minds, make them lose confidence in themselves, just basically make them feel like garbage overall. Um, You know, and we'll talk about like the the way, the way even within the story, the characters point out like, Hey, it seems like he crafted these enemies specifically uh, to, uh, to grate on on us specifically on the characters who they're fighting specifically and and overall i think that's what's happening in these chapters is we're pushing these characters and and that makes it kind of painful to read because you care about these characters and and uh they're suffering a lot yeah it's it's kind of amazing that throughout these two chapters our uh hero team wins every fight they're in but none of them feel like a win right they they never it never feels victorious it feels like but at what cost and um it's it's rough yeah a lot of deaths yeah Yeah. all right well let's move on let's do a quick quick announcement yeah Uh, sorry go ahead yeah i was just gonna say um we are doing our monthly book club this friday um we're we're covering leviathan wakes uh the first book of the expanse series so if you uh, if you have read that book, come join in. If you haven't read that book, probably don't have enough time to read it before then. But <laughs> um, but you know we we do a we do a monthly live stream book club where we actually do interact with the people who who join in on the live stream. So again, Leviathan Wakes is is this um, this Friday, um, the twenty sixth. Yes. Yeah, I think we we normally do these kind of things at the very end of the show, but we're trying to get some of you guys that uh, that duck out before that outro. Because, um, yeah, I mean, I th- assumingly, if you're listening to us talk right now, you like what we have to say about things and we right. say things about other things, other yeah. books. Um, I really enjoy those book clubs. I think they're so, so much fun. And uh, we hope some of you guys that maybe have never given it a shot before will will come hang out with us Friday night. Yeah, so we'll see you guys there. So now on to chapter 15.4. All right. So right off the top, I want to talk about how Wildbo manages to make cape fights still feel frantic, tense, and dangerous after we've been through 
what feels like hundreds of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this fight, he throws in the, this viscerally upsetting power, actually a couple of viscerally upsetting powers, um, the first of which is a wave of syringes that exudes from surfaces, which is being used, of course, against our protagonist, who has this fear of hospitals and medical things, um, and also her ally, who is a tinker who uses a, a huge syringe, so there's probably something going on there. Uh, one of the Mortari capes even is like adding color commentary, making sure that we know that these needles are full of horrible diseases. So it's just really cool because it's it's introducing uh, interesting and, and horrible kinds of <laughs> of tension into this into into I mean into what is what is essentially a cape fight, but but still there's always different wrinkles that Wildbo manages to put into these things to make them feel fresh and and still feel dangerous. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting kind of danger because like I think if we take this fight and we compare it to the fight next chapter where they're fighting up against robots with death beams, um it is a distinct kind of tension and danger, right? Mm-hmm. Um it's a wave of syringes that that just that appear from all surfaces and and it's just there and it's frantic and then like one wrong move against the giant robots and you get sliced in half or po- or like like totally consumed by this beam of energy one wrong move here you're not necessarily dead immediately right like mm-hmm. so it's it's a to me that's much more horrifying like and i don't i don't like have any particular aversion to needles but you, you throw like a like a a bucket full of needles at me and then i have an aversion towards them yeah and i feel like i've now been programmed by this story to like sub subconsciously slash semi-consciously take it to the place of like um on some level thinking oh you know victoria's gonna get poked by a needle so and that's a plausible thing that can happen in the story like you, you never quite believe your protagonist is gonna die suddenly but you could believe that they could get poked by an incurable disease needle especially since that would imply all sorts of like subsequent situations about you know, her sister who can heal all diseases. Um, and maybe she like, right. Like you, like you sort of automatically start going down this train of the implications of, of Victoria getting a horrible incurable disease. Um, and it doesn't end up happening in this chapter, but you, you really do feel like it could happen. Yeah. And and that feeling helps really escalate the tension, and um, to, to something that, that is beyond just because, I mean, I think with reasonable certainty, we can say our character is probably not going to die. And I think, right. you know, generally, uh, I liked this fight more than I liked the giant robot fight in the next chapter. And I think we'll talk a little bit about that when we get to that one. But I do think like the fact that, yeah, she could get hit, stabbed by a needle and all kinds of horrible diseases injected in her and she wouldn't even know about it. Um, and is is just horrifying, viscerally horrifying in a very kind of personal, like close, uh, easy to relate to kind of way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to talk about a little bit just like one of the things that I've noticed this arc is doing and it doesn't do it every chapter, but it does it fairly often is we kind of have a, another chapter once again that kind of throws us right into the action of another uh, skirmish. In the ongoing battle, um, the beginning of 
this chapter and the end of last chapter don't line up perfectly right. It's not like we cut from the end and and move directly into this in kind of a, a smooth kind of way. It's, it's a little jarring. It's like we've dealt with this thing and then suddenly we have another problem coming up um, and, and time has moved by a little bit. Not not a whole lot. Like it's not like hours have gone by between the chapters, but minutes have mm. like they, they were at the end of a difference. They At the la- end of last chapter, they were finishing up a part of a battle moving on to the next area and being warned that it was only going to get worse from here. And then we move into this chapter and we're immediately in that next fight, that worst fight. Um, and, and I like this. I was thinking about like, like why do it this way a little bit. And I think, I think one of the things it does is kind of makes the battle feel like it's bigger than just what we're seeing through our character. Right. We're, we're, we're kind of jumping through time just a little bit and, and, it not not everything lining up perfectly makes it so we're witnessing pieces of an ongoing war instead of just like we're with our character and she's experiencing every bit of every minute of it. It just I think it just kind of like artificially makes the fight seem the scope of the fight seem bigger and larger and longer. And and, and I, I don't know if like that's intentional design that way, but that's just that what the effect has on me. These kind of jumping into the next fight, the next fight, the next fight. And we don't see those brief minutes that ramp up to that fight before them yeah i I like that um i I was thinking something along the lines of like it it reminds me a bit of um aliens the way this arc has has gone um not the whole arc i I guess i would say the last like four chapters four to six chapters i'm I'm i can't really keep track of it off the cuff but four to six chapters of the arc yeah that's the whole that's the whole thing i guess that is the whole arc yeah (laughs) Yeah. So, but like, like what I mean is like, um, the, you know, the, the part of aliens where like, they're slowly going into the, um, the facility and it's a slow burn and like that kind of maps onto the characters slowly entering teacher's lair after fighting their way past the, um, you know, past the, the guards at the entrance and then find, finding all of the thralls who are basically nonviolent. You have a little, a little skirmish there. You beat, you win easily. Nobody's really injured. And then you move on to, you know, the big fight in the in the big open chamber, a really intense fight, some injuries. I don't think we saw any of our heroes get killed. And now we're just like stepping up the tempo, stepping up the pace. We're yeah. now jumping right into the next battle. There's dead bodies. There's t- like terrifying, disgusting powers. Um, and, and yeah, it's I, I think we're I think we're saying slightly different things, but I think we're both saying something along the same track, which is um, it, it's making things seem um, bigger and worse as, as we go on. Yeah. And the choices becoming more and more difficult. I mean, mm-hmm. you think about last week when we talked about this choice of, Oh my God, we're going to prevent these people from getting showers. And now Victoria's choices, uh, I got to kick this guy's head off and it might be right. the right thing to do. So yeah, I mean, I think, I think we're seeing a g- general ramp up in that regard. I totally agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Basically, yeah. So in addition to this idea that like the powers are disgusting and, and kind of scary in a way that isn't just like, oh, our hero could die, but, you know, she could get a terrible disease. Um, Vicky's fighting side by side with two of the major malfunctions. She doesn't really have her ordinary teammates close by, especially at the start of the chapter. Um, and we have these major malfunctions who we understand are less experienced. They're more more vulnerable. They're much more frightened than our other characters are. And uh, we've been sort of conditioned to think of them as being at risk. 
Uh, and basically everything about this scene, like I said before, is crafted to wear down these characters and in a sense to wear us down as a reader. Like you've got stuff like um, Carrie added saying, I can't do this. I can't stand this. I have bad dreams that aren't as bad as this. And it's just sort of it's gutting, actually. Yeah, it's it's really great. And we, we didn't talk about the fact that the major malfunctions are here last week because for the most part, they were just kind of there. Um, well, two of the three of them were there. A finale has has sat this battle out. Uh, probably the only smart one in the group. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah. Like you're absolutely right that from the beginning, they've been established as these kids who are like are, are enthusiastic and gung ho, but have entered a thing here that is kind of weighing over their head. And and the thing I really love about this is not only are these kids over their head and it, it ramps up the tension, but you have Victoria just like feeling completely responsible for them, right? She said, she says here, they're kids who did nothing for years, then jumped into the deep end of the pool. And that's partially my fault for bringing them on board like I did. And so if things weren't, weren't bad enough, Victoria is blaming herself kind of for the fact that they're here. Uh, I'm the one that recruited them. I'm the one that used them. Uh, they're in this situation because of me and therefore I am responsible for them. And that's kind of causing her like more stress. It's not only that she's trying to fight to defeat the enemy capes, but she has to keep special attention to these two. Uh, Carrie added who is is really losing it. Absolutely losing it. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's hard for us to believe deep in our heart that the protagonist is going to die suddenly. I mean, it could happen, but it's it you kind of don't think it's going to but you totally do believe that these guys could die or be horribly maimed or something and and that would hurt victoria um quite badly and so yeah. we care quite a lot about that and and we feel the tension of that absolutely and one of the things i noticed here and and this is one of those things that i don't know if it was if it was done intentionally or not or is just kind of a result of uh the the framing of the characters in the book's mind as victoria is describing them like there's these moments in the fight that victoria kind of goes down and re-describes them to the reader. Um, we see descriptions of what they're wearing, what they look like, that kind of thing. And the descriptions are all very um, revealing about about how Victoria kind of feels about them, right? Um, they're seen as, like, like, emphasize their skinniness, their smallness, their slimness um, withdrawal is described as having only the shields he kept for defense. Like I, I think it's, it's really fascinating here that like there's the subtle ways in which just how Victoria just describes them subconsciously is tying into exactly how she feels about them, emphasizing those, those beats about how, how small they are, how defenseless they are, how um, a childish feels like the wrong word, but just like, just not not up for this kind of thing they are even even withdrawal who to his credit is like trying as best as he can um still described as as small and defenseless and i I just really find that fascinating right yeah i think i think that the word choice employed here is actually very precise to to create that subconscious effect like you said um because it's not like she goes on a on a tirade about how weak and defenseless they are it's more just like she's like you, like you said, she's making what seem like um, objective observations, but the word choice betrays what she feels about the situation. Yeah, yeah, and that yeah, that all that all combines into this this increased tense feeling. Like you mm-hmm. you're right there in her head. You see these kids as what as kids. You see them mm-hmm. as defenseless. You see them as small, tiny, in over their head, uh, 
terrified and it's yeah it's really perfect yeah yeah um so <laughs> i just love this quote i just pulled this up for no reason other than i love it um where the text says crashing through the syringes with the wretch would disable the wretch and impale the victoria and just victoria referring to herself as the victoria is just the most wonderful thing in the world mm-hmm. um i'm not gonna I, I could go down a whole rabbit hole of reading into that i'm not gonna do it because there's plenty of wretch stuff to read into much later in these chapters yeah uh there's there's a lot of wretch stuff in these chapters right yeah like like an unusual amount even for this story where the wretch is one of her primary modes of of combat like mm-hmm. and it has been the whole time but there's a lot of interesting stuff and it made me realize and i feel like this is one of those things maybe we talked about before but kind of realize anew that like the metaphorical symbolism of having a invulnerable force field that then breaks and then is gone like it's it's an interesting sort of paradox right it's yep. it's like an appearance of of invulnerability except the invulnerability is fragile yeah and the metaphorical implications are left as an exercise to the listener just kidding i mean the metaphorical (laughs) implications are like that's kind of how victoria is like like she she is all about putting out this image of strength in fact she literally wants to to put forth an image that she is invulnerable yep and that the only time she gets injured is when there's like a power nullifier but the truth is that her 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 invulnerability is fragile, just like the image that she projects is fragile, and in fact, a a, a facade over over you know a, a, a vulnerable a vulnerable core. And yeah. um, well, there's that beautiful quote in the next chapter where she says she's talking about the wretch and how it was always better at sustained hits than mm-hmm. big powerful uh, instant hits, right? And that's yes, that's perfect. Like that's it's absolutely perfect. That's that's absolutely Victoria. She can handle sustained pressure it's but, the big shocking unexpected thing that really yeah. wipes her out or or you could or you could even frame that i love that quote too and uh you could frame that as like she can she can handle anything while it's happening and then after it happens she shatters um and has to put herself back together again but never but she never really accomplishes that right she never yeah. really gets back to where she was it's and, and it's kind of been this gradual attrition throughout the story where you know her her metaphorical force field that that is like her her ability to cope with everything in her life has has been knocked down over and over and and she's managed to get through all these challenges but the cost has been accrued damage that that no one else can see yeah i like that i like that a whole bunch um and i i do think there's a very specific reason why late in this chapter and a lot of the next chapter we get some very close and personal wretch stuff um but we'll we'll get to that when we get to it we will um so you know like like we mentioned everything we're talking about in terms of the the characters being worn down is textual like victoria says it's a tailor-made fight for us yeah and meaning like you know there's a reason we're fighting discussing disease monsters it's because all of us have issues with that yeah. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's, it's, I always enjoy when Victoria gets to do her scholar stuff, right? It, mm-hmm. it, I enjoy it. It's fun to see. And yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's like everyone just getting nailed right in the trauma constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's te- and it's very plausible, right? Cause teachers spent the whole last few arcs accumulating this knowledge about what these people's traumas was. Yeah. So 
it's perfectly organic that he would have that be part of the attack against them. Yeah. Um, you know, on the other hand, Victoria is kind of being great here, right? Because yeah. she's coaching, she's coaching the major malfunctions through this, and she's actually doing great. Like she's saying, you know, as as you know, as uh, Caryatid is like surrounded by needles, she says, uh, and Caryatid is saying, I, I can't do this. Victoria is saying, get through this second by second. If you can get through the stuff that's this personal, you can get through anything. What if I can't? What if I can't do this? You're doing it as we speak. Yeah. And that's like, like that's awesome, right? It is. I mean, like if teacher if, if teacher's whole plan here is attacking people and their trauma, then the counter to that attack is it's kind of therapy. Right. And, and this right. is where breakthrough and especially Victoria, I think, really do shine. Like Victoria has a lot of trouble dealing with her own things, um, but she's very, very good at helping people deal with theirs. Right. Um, she's very good at being that coach, being that mentor, being that guide and, and assistance to people when they need it the most. Um, and that's kind of what we see here. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be, I don't want to come off as too hard on Victoria either. I don't want to <laughs> say like, she's, she's terrible at coping with her problems. It's it's more like she's always taking on a, a superhuman uh, pun intended level of, of challenge. <laughs> right. And like nobody could handle that. Like it's not like it's not like, oh, Victoria's uniquely bad at handling things. It's that she tries to shoulder the burden of the whole world, the whole like she's literally constantly putting herself in situations where she's having to basically save the world. Right. Yeah. And so. So, yeah, of course, of course, her coping mechanisms can't keep up with that. Yeah. No one's no one's can. Yeah, I mean, her form um, of coping is to help others, right? Is to, yeah. to, to die, is to be that person for other people. And that's great. It's wonderful. And we've talked about how inspiring that is. But you got to take care of yourself. Got to take care of yourself, Vicky. Yeah, and people keep telling her this, too. Yeah. <laughs> so she then has to fight a disgusting, diseased giant guy with a giant hook. Um, and these two, you know, the syringe woman and the giant uh, dude have like power synergy that's super gross and fucked up. It's, it's awesome. Uh, they should totally recruit nursery, and then that would just be uh, a nightmare. I mean, more than it already is. Um, at one point here, Vicky is injured during the fight, and then that, of course, creates some new tension because you know we don't, and Victoria doesn't know if it was a needle that pricked her or if it was damage or something else. And so now that's kind of hovering over us. Yeah, it, it's like we were talking about how this whole arc and and these these chapters kind of build upon each other and one of the things like even in this this little skirmish here we have we start with needle lady and her like sea of needles and then we add in big hulking guy that plays off of needle lady beautifully and then we have a bunch of thralls that show up with gravity guns that like are perfect for picking up a bunch of needles and and also throwing them at people. And it's like the the like things keep building to worse and worse and worse. Um, and in like it it comes off as like man, this is like designed to be annoying. This is like mm-hmm. designed to work perfectly together and to counter our heroes as well as possible. And that's because textually it is. It is it is once again us taking like the idea of. Uh, a contrived situation to milk it for drama and excitement, but within the world of the story, writing it in to be mm-hmm. textual and it's, it's great. Yeah. And it, it feels very organic that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. So there, there's this moment um, that I wanted to point out because I think it's re- some really fascinating in, uh, 
imagery where Caryatid makes her way to me. I reached out with a hand that had blood on it from touching my wound on my shoulder, supporting her as she hopped over a pile of needles as the next flick throw of the beam's contents came her way. She put herself between me and the hail going breaker. So one of the things that's really fascinating here is this once again, we have this imagery of Victoria with with blood on her hands reaching towards someone. And I, I want to call back to that. Remember that dream she had where she was st- or she was remembering a dream that she had all the time where she was her hands were covered in blood and she was reaching for people, except she couldn't hold them because the blood was covering her hands. And we've kind of recreated this imagery here uh, in this battle. And I think that's that's something worth worth bringing up. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's really awesome. Um and it can't help but feel terrified about calling it back in this context where we have Kyriatid who is someone who she's particularly afraid of of letting die. Mhm. Um I mean, yeah, like not only is it just bloody hand reaching out for someone, it's bloody hand reaching out to save someone that she feels responsible for. Yeah. And then in her dream, that person always dies. So, yeah. Great, yeah. And it's, great. yeah, I mean, it's like the guilt, the responsibility and the failure, um, all kind of playing off of each other in, in beautiful ways here. So much so that you're like, I wonder if this is all arranged in some kind of weird teachery way, you know, like it's just like, uh-huh. it's so much playing off of her own specific fears. I mean, that's impossible, but it just feels like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's, I mean, it's an interesting question, right? It's, it's interesting how the, the the teacher stuff has it's kind of doing and you can do interesting metatextual tricks with the teacher stuff because it's almost like i mean we've we've talked plenty of and, and they talk about it in deep impact too like how how Ibo likes to take narrative concepts and then sort of bring them into the story as as like a story conceit basically like the shards um, are the reader, you know, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. And, right. and it's, it, it is kind of like, like the, there's a, there's a sense in which teachers whole, uh, plan here has been, um, to find out all of the, all of the character flaws, which are something that <laughs> you, you put in when you're, when you're building your story, um, find out and then like press on all of the character flaws specifically are you saying teacher's superpower is to literally build narrative conflict yeah yeah i mean <laughs> i mean and and, and that kind of works great as like the role of his shard being like uh it's not there's there's not there's not enough there's not you know the cycle's not progressing i need to I need to amp up this conflict, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I can. I don't know. I like this interpretation. Yeah, I mean, I always, I love, I love taking things to the meta level, and I think there's ample room for it in these stories. So, yeah. Um, so Victoria begins to notice that these thralls have a bit more agency than she's used to seeing, um, and she doesn't really make much of it. Like at the time, I think her assumption might even be like, oh, maybe they're like less influenced by teacher. Um, but she doesn't, you know, even come close to putting together the fact that, you know, teacher is abusing Trump powers to amplify his power. And I wonder if the, the heroes are ever going to figure that out before it's too late to do anything about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if I, I think our, our Victoria is pretty smart, Matt, and she can probably put the puzzle pieces together eventually. My, my question on that would be like, so you learned that what is what is acting on it look like in this context like if you crack that that puzzle like what now what how how does that how does it help you in the moment i think the brilliance of what teacher has done here is even though even if you catch on to his strategy or or what exactly he's doing it's so damn effective that it works anyway 
Yeah, I mean, I guess my answer would be like, if you if you come into a fight with like Mama Mathers and Vale Four and 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 whoever else, and you think to yourself, um, okay, it's a good thing I know their weaknesses, and I'm gonna play on those weaknesses. <laughs> that's when you should say, ah ah ah, we, we there's there's ridiculously you know out of the box Trump powers at play here. I'm not going to assume anything. And then that way you avoid whatever terrible trap he had set for you, you know? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I think, I think it's like a good example of what we were talking about was the the fight with the needle lady for me, right? It's like Victoria cracked the idea that this person is, was picked specifically to go up against that group because that group specifically has a problem with diseases and, and needles and all this thing. And it's like, okay, uh, we cracked that, but we still got to fight it. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I see your point. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not even like it, it's a it's a huge bonus. It's more like a you don't necessarily lo- necessarily lose immediately because yeah. you weren't aware of it. You're you're maybe starting even not 10 points behind. I got right. it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So um, at this point, uh, the team uses the immunity of one of the thralls as a means of clearing away the needles. <laughs> but the thrall then turns off his little immunity thingy and then he gets impaled on the needles willingly so that he can't be used that way. So clearly these are still thralls. They're just, you know, as we've suspected, they're thralls that have kind of been given a little bit more agency by teacher, but but not that much agency. Yeah. Whenever you throw people like Scapegoat and Mama Mathers into the mix, the idea of agency is very hard to find, right? Like, yeah. like you're right that the text makes explicit note that these guys are, are more in control than the thralls that they've been fighting in the past. But but safely saying it's like, oh, look, this guy willingly sacrificed himself to teacher's cause. And that's how loyal he is, is not a, a, a statement I'm comfortable making. Right. Because there's just so right. much other stuff going on here. Um, but I think I think regardless of whether this this man chose to do this out of loyalty or was was mind whammied into into having to do this, um, what we're seeing here is is one of the reasons why this fight is going so poorly for the good guys, right? When you have people like this that are either within or without of their control willing to completely sacrifice themselves, um, not even to take out the enemy, but just to s- stop giving the enemy a slight advantage, that's a hard fight to win. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think another factor that comes into play when you have these these thralls that seem like they're operating under their own willpower is that even like even somebody like Victoria she's always been a bit disturbed seeing death yeah i mean it's it's clear that at this point she's she's seen a lot of it so mm-hmm. it it doesn't completely throw her off when she sees death but like she doesn't spare a second thought for this guy who impales himself on on the needles and i think part of that is well he's he's a committed enemy yeah, because he did that on purpose, and and he's he's so he's so against us that he's that he killed himself just to be a pain in our ass, and that's not actually true. Like like so so it's an interesting it creates an interesting situation where she can actually let herself off the hook from having to feel bad about killing some of these people or or feel as bad as she otherwise would because yeah. she can tell herself oh they're 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 legitimate enemies they're not slaves 
Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely true. And I think even Victoria kind of cops to the fact that she's doing that a little bit later in the chapter that she says to herself, I had written these people off because I had the excuse that they were choosing to do this. Right. And then mm-hmm. therefore, therefore it's their choice and therefore, sorry, that's what you get. Um, but that is not working on her as well, especially after she's forced to execute uh, this guy that we're about right. to get to. Yeah. Yeah. So eventually they defeat the syringe cape and love lost. Like you said, executes her in cold blood. Oh, it's uh, then, savage. <laughs> yeah. Like in, in a really, sickening way like rips <laughs> up and down her like it's like holy shit i mean, like, I mean basically she exsanguinates her right yeah, it's yeah. not it's not a it's not a quick i mean i guess it is quick in terms of time but it's horrifying yeah um and then love lost basically orders victoria to execute the 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 gross giant guy who they call the leper and victoria is really hesitant but the other heroes agree and they urge her to do it they're like hey she's that guy's killed several of of our of our of our heroes you know good people and he's just repairing right like it's not like we can just knock him out he's the type of self-repair person where he's gonna get back up and he's gonna keep fighting um i think the book really really spends the time trying to build the justification for this yeah and and also builds this idea that like victoria is probably the only one here who can just kill him right yeah yeah um, she, and, uh, her, yeah. her brute power specifically, it like, Ray, like rain's already thrown a bunch of things at him, slicing him. Right. Like it's, yeah, I, I, I do yeah. agree that, that the book does a good job of making you understand why like Victoria can't just say, okay, we have to kill him, but I'm not going to do it. It's like, no, I'm sorry. It, it has, it has to be you. Right. Right. Um, so before she does it, she asks that someone she trusts make the call and I just love this dialogue for all kinds of reasons. I'd like to hear a voice I know and trust say to do it. I said, sorry, Gong, I don't know you. Do I count? Rain asked. Yeah, but do you really want to make that call? Because I really don't. Um, And I love that because Rain still isn't sure if he counts as someone that Victoria knows and trusts. And then I love that she (laughs) says, yeah, you are. Like, that's, it's just kind of a... Yeah, I mean, I mean, we've we've kind of already reached this point where where she's kind of come around on Rain, but it's it's a bit of a... For me, just a note of closure because it, you know, she's really had reservations about Rain for a long time, and yeah, um, he's definitely proven herself to her. But this is her verbalizing and saying, like outright, like, yeah, um, you're, you're in my circle now. Yeah, I, I mean, this is a big deal, right? <laughs> this is a yeah. really big deal, right? And and then of course, what he's what he's saying is something that you know, it's it's really hard for Rain specifically to say because he's he's not someone who who likes killing or, or, you know, I, I think that this is one, he's almost level of swan song in terms yeah. of wanting to avoid it and, and, and finding it, you know, repugnant to when, when it's anywhere nearby. Yeah. I mean, that's why it's rain, right? Like mm-hmm. this is, this is the author of the book constructing this situation. So yes, it is him. That's going to be the one that does this for her. Um, it, it would not, I mean, it, it would be important, but I think it is very important that it comes from rain specifically here. Mm-hmm. Um, the rain is the one that's says it rain, the one who has worked so hard to not become the person that he was, who's worked so hard to become better, to become a hero, to make up for all the terrible things he's done. He is the one that, makes the call here like do you really want to make that call victoria says no he says i don't want to make this call but he's doing that one thing that aaron gave him so much credit for last week which is dealing with it he's dealing here's the situation no i don't want to make the call but someone has to we have to do this and he's going to be the one that steps up and does it 
but like reflecting on this on these chapters as a whole i was i was like what if teacher's plan is like you know moving the chess pieces around and he's like all right we're gonna put we're gonna put these two capes against this team here because that's like the worst opponents they could have but the enemy's definitely gonna win and then we'll have created a situation where the enemy will have to murder our guys in cold blood which i've accepted will happen and that will break their spirits which i can then take advantage of at phase seven yeah i mean that is uh, that is in in my opinion unquestionably what's going on here Mm -hmm. i i completely agree i it's it's why this is such a complex weird situation because like on the one hand like i'm never gonna sit well with killing someone in cold blood like it's always gonna be icky to me just like it's always gonna be icky to victoria um on the other hand, the book builds a pretty good case for it. On the third hand, exactly what you're saying is that this is just this is this feels like a victory for our characters in that they beat the bad guys and are getting to move on to the next area. But it very much could just be part of the plan in and of itself. Yeah. And so you kind of leave this thing just as confused and unsure as our protagonist is having to do this. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of which, you know, once she once she does it, uh, when she kills him in in cold blood, uh, the, the the wording of it, I didn't copy it here, but it's like it's the battle is over. It, it is it is a cold blooded kill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then she feels just impossibly heavy after doing it. Oh, I love it. I, I love it so much. She she sets the foot that did the kicking like the, she kicks a, the man's head off. Like yeah. she kicks his head off um, yeah. and she so it's the, her foot is like covered with guck and she sets it down and it sticks to the floor and then feels impossibly heavy. So like it's like the the gunk on her foot, the the blood and gunk is of the man's head that she just kicked off sticks on the floor and then it and the rest of her body feels impossibly heavy. I love that. Impo- that's such powerful imagery, right? Not just heavy, not just really heavy. It's like I feel heavy, impossibly heavy. I can't even believe how heavy this is. Mhm. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's really wonderful. Like uh, the writing around this, like this is a really important moment in the story. This is a really important moment for our character. And the writing knows that and acknowledges that and, and lets our, our hero sit with it before it moves on. Like, I, I love this moment where like she describes Gong as just back to business. Like he doesn't say thank you. He doesn't say good. He recognizes that there's nothing good about what just happened, but he has no sadness either. Just coldness. Just, this is just part of the thing. And and as Victoria feels that heaviness, it's almost as if the book is comparing the way she's reacting to it, to the way he's reacting to it. Um, and, and saying like, this is, this is what, what you just did. This, what I, I, Victoria just did eventually turns you into a person like gong who is just so kind of removed emotionally from it that it's just business to him and mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm not trying to paint gong as a bad guy he seems like a good cape and effective and well he dies in a bit right so bummer for him but right um it's just it's just really it's just really tragic it's just really like it's the exact thing like like what and what i love about this is like the the morality of the situation is almost immaterial here, right? Like it, like breaking down. Well, should you execute a man in cold blood? Like it doesn't matter. What matters is how Victoria is reacting to it. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And and like you said, you've included these. I think Gong is one of these wardens capes who yeah. who's been basically fighting in in what it what was literally a war um, recently, and so for him. This is maybe 
I don't know, maybe par for the course, maybe a bit worse than par, par for the course, but yeah. it's not as big of a step up in direness as as it is for Victoria. Yeah, you get the feeling that this is not the first time he's executed a, a defeated cape out of necessity, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, it just it just seems like he's the kind of person who's numb to to, to yeah. killing. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, and it's almost like in that moment, she wants someone to kind of comfort her, but everyone's just like no it had to be done you know and yeah they just kind of go back to what they were doing yeah <laughs> yeah so i just wanted to point out there's some interesting uh, water imagery in this chapter actually um it opens with the syringes behaving like a wave mm-hmm um, that, that's like the first sentence, I believe. And yeah. then here she says, we're fighting against the tide. And, you know, I, I don't know. It's just I always like to point out the water imagery because like water and, and color is, is something that's been recurring. And and this idea like the especially water, I think, has been used as as like the, the, the connotations of drowning. Yeah. And, you know, dark water have been have been, I think, the primary water connotations that have been employed in the story. Absolutely oppressive, overbearing, scary. Yeah, the water is used many, many ways. Way, like, the, the, that imagery is used in this story a whole lot. And so mm-hmm. that's a really good pull. I like that. Yeah. So apparently Victoria uh, was actually hit by the leper's attack, which amplifies all the disease, diseases in your body, which usually kills you. And it, it seems like it, well, the other well, two guys. If you have the syringe, like if you get hit yeah. with the syringe lady, and then he does it, then yeah, you you did. So it's a combo, but but Victoria just feels a little bit sick, and I guess I might have slightly misinterpreted it, but I do wonder if the reason why she got such a mild reaction was because Amy actually tuned her up pretty recently, <laughs> and maybe she just had you know a day's worth of accumulated uh, you know bacteria or whatever. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that like at all when I was reading, but I, I think. I think there might be something to that, right? Like there's, there's this ongoing kind of mystery, I guess, not really the focal point of like, what, what did Amy do to Victoria while she was unconscious? Right. And I think as we've moved through the story, we've kind of like pulled back on how much she maybe did to her during this, this time. But that seems like something it was, that's very plausible. Right. I mean, just to be, you know, like from a doylist reasoning perspective, like why is this, element in the story and what like why why have it in there unless it's supposed to be saying something about the fact that like oh it did affect victoria but not very much at all um you know like it could have just I, I mean i guess i guess what i'm saying is i wouldn't be surprised if it was significant and did mean something but i also wouldn't be super surprised if it was just like oh yeah capes have fucked up power sometimes could Moving be on. could be a double bow could be a double bow think so i think so <laughs> mm-hmm. that's I, but uh, we'll see. So um, Tristan gets pretty aggro at the sensor scanner and Mortari guy who's reading everybody's status and telling them his analysis. Yeah. And this I mean, this immediately the, the, uh, how agitated and angry he gets here immediately made me think about your reading last week where you you mentioned that he seemed a little like his re- I, I even I forget now what 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 he was talking about in the moment but you read that as Tristan more angry and agitated than normal and I I didn't quite agree with you on that and now this makes me go oh maybe Matt had a good point there maybe that read was closer to reality than otherwise um where we have a, a frustrated angry Tristan who could go off and and lose it in some way um 
And yeah, Tristan absolutely has his like established anti needle thing, right? Like mm-hmm. that is that. And, and here here we're fighting needle lady. But Tristan wasn't around during the actual fight. Uh, he only got there at the, the tail end of it. Right. So not that seeing needles everywhere is going to make a person with a needle phobia like cool. He's not going to mm-hmm. be cool. But I, I, my point with that is just I think Tristan's frustration and anger and aggressiveness here is is coming from a deeper place than just I'm uncomfortable around needles. Right. Um, and I think I think that's been established in the, the first chapter of this arc. Why? Yeah, where right. that could be coming from. Yeah, yeah, I, I, exactly. I think his I think the real reason why he's off kilter is, you know, they came from this very upsetting prison thing that they were just in. And then nobody is being nice to him. Everybody is basically rejecting him. You know, everybody else gets a nice homecoming and a hug. I mean, he's practically the only one who doesn't get a, you know, a, a moment of like tenderness and acknowledgement from yeah. someone other than Byron, really. Yeah, um, I, I don't. I mean, that's, I don't even think it's practically, I think out of breakthrough, he, he is. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, um, he's, he's not doing great. And, and we're seeing this kind of build and build. And, uh, I don't like, I don't know where we're going with this. I'm interested in seeing how this is going to pay off. Um, it could be like specific setup. I'm trying to think of like how, how teacher could be specifically going to try to use this, his known anger and rage against him in some way. I'm mm-hmm. excited to see that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Right. I mean, it's seeming more and more um, apparent that like the um, do we have a name for the whole head fuck thing that teacher's been doing to them or do we just kind of the, uh, anyway, diary like, shit. Is what, <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the, the diary shit is not just about the diaries. It, it, it's part of like it was always planned to be part of this, too. Right. Sure. This is part of the plan. It wasn't just, yeah, we're going to make them all have internal schisms inside their teams. It's it's then we're going to base our whole combat strategy around all of the shit that we dug up, yeah. all of their weaknesses and all their fears. Yeah, I mean, one way or another, this was going to come to to, to combat, right? Like, yeah. whether whether or not he breaks apart all the, breaks breaks down all the teams and, and takes advantage of the cracks and all the teams fall apart, there's going to be, there's going to be combat eventually. And, yeah. and he had to have known that. So yeah, I think he, you're right. I think it's, I think in the custodians interlude is it's explicit that he, that like the, the, oh, they're invading now yeah, was let's part move, of the plan. Yeah. Let's move yeah. to the next phase. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. 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 And on the other side of this whole thing, we have our beaker buddy, uh, Venerum who uh, like, I, he's the same guy who at the very beginning of the chapter was like, like explicitly explaining what was going on with the diseases. Like all these things are filled with super deadly diseases and he just like keeps doing it. And we're like, yeah, okay, dude, we got it. We got it. Uh-huh. Go do something else. Um, I think this guy's really interesting because we don't know a lot about these these new cauldron capes, right? We know that there were some leftover vials that Citrine and Numberman got a hold of, and they obviously hired some people, gave it to them, and so they're very fresh capes, right? Um, and this guy is kind of being a an unintentional jerk face. Like, I don't think he's going in this thing to be a dick to people, but he's just, I think... Tristan describes it as like the tinker thing, right? Where they're just kind of lost in, in or no, the thinker thing, sorry, where they're just kind of lost in their power and not like paying attention to the human side of things. And I think that's a really good way of demonstrating how these are new power people, right? These are people that probably have not had their powers very long. Yeah, right. I mean, also, I, I can't help but think like Shard's going to Shard. This is probably a guy who like already had problems sure. with like telling people what their what he thought their problem was. <laughs> and now that's his power. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I isn't that fascinating, though, because like we had just last week, Victoria kind of reeling when she like 
psychoanalyzed someone and then was told, oh, well, they're a cauldron cape. And then she's like, oh, well, what does that mean? And then here we have this guy who seemingly has I think you're absolutely right that he had this thing before he was a cauldron cape. And we're kind of seeing how even even when you're drinking the trigger and not experiencing the trigger, it, it is textually still pulling some of your trauma out. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And he, I mean, Victoria compares this guy to Amy at some point, right? Like the way in which he's addressing her wounds or noticing her wounds. And that's I mean, that's a very explicit connection to make there. Right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's 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 getting on her nerves so badly that she's comparing him to the worst person that she knows. Yeah. So, yeah. Um. So uh, after the fight, Rain gets love lost to repair his arm <laughs> through the infinite power of his guileless aw shucksness. Yeah. it's great though because the details of it is like she stares at him like grimaces at him and he the text says he faces her square on right he doesn't look away he doesn't back down he just faces her and asks her for help and she does it and so once again i think rain dealing like i I love i love that aaron kind of framed rain in this way because ever since that framing i see that like i see exactly what he is as just like he's the guy who deals and that that really has helped me helps me uh process who he is yeah put a kind of have a have a word for it yeah, yeah. i like that I like that a lot hey we finally discovered samuel's power that we've been waiting for <laughs> and uh the power is um torture or maybe the power is torture that works yeah i guess uh makes sense um makes sense because he's the nice heartbroken he's he's a nice guy yeah everyone agrees and therefore his power makes him beat people <laughs> um Thanks, shards. And, and like even just seeing this explicitly gets to Victoria. And it's, you know, this is another thing that's wearing her down. Right? Yeah. Even just seeing him ha- have to do this wears her down even further than she already was. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's challenging the traditionally heroic ideals, right? Killing is wrong. Uh, well, we, we might have to do it here. Torture is always bad and it doesn't work. OK, well, uh, what if it uh, does what if it's like definitely provably does as it is right now? Yeah. Oh, um, fuck. <laughs> I, I like, right. Like, I mean, that's like, yeah. it's, it's challenging her at some of her, you know, firmest, most held beliefs. And I think, I don't know if it's right here, but later in the story, she goes back. I think it's after Ashley kills someone. She goes back and, and has this moment where she says like, not killing someone was so important to this not being glory girl image I wanted to bring up because I wanted this new me, this non glory girl me to be pure, to be this pure goal of this is this is this time. Here's how I'm going to do it. The new opportunity, the second chance this time. Here's how I'm going to do this thing. And and the, all these things are tainting that. And that's making her impossibly heavy, as she says. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Yeah. And this, so this, I mean, this guy, I, I was thinking about this for a while because like we have in this moment, this, like we have her talking to Carrie added and she's dealing with, uh, the major malfunctions and, and describing them as young and inexperienced and kind of in over their head here. And I was thinking about like this situation that Victoria is in now is not one that she's ever experienced before. Like, yeah, she has more experience as a Cape than them, but like the fights that Victoria had as glory girl were not like this, right? I mean, she fought Embringers, which are terrible and awful, but those are also like in the traditional Victoria sense, 
black and white, bad thing there, punch, bad thing, right? Um, even even when she was fighting the nine and, and fighting Crawler, bad guy there, punch, bad guy. Like, unquestionable. Like, this kind... Monsters. Of, yeah, exactly. This kind of situation... This this kind of fighting that she's in, even even in Ward, like the conflicts have been a little more messy. But um, this we we talked last week about how this teacher fight, the, the 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 type of fighting they're getting into now, is distinctly different from anything else. And she doesn't have experience in this stuff. And we see here, like Samuel says to her, she asks, "Is this really what I want? What we want to be?" And Samuel says, "It is what I am, and it's why I'm here." And then Imp says, I don't care what we are as long as you make it through this. And Victoria has no rebuttal for that. She has no answer, not just audibly. She doesn't even like within her internal monologue, can't even construct an argument to that. She is just not have experience in this kind of stuff. She just doesn't doesn't have it. She like it, it's so funny. Like we, we see a character like Taylor who's just like so able to instantly like craft these reasons and justifications for these things no matter what and here we have victoria who's just like uh (laughs) i don't like it um but also i have no argument i none i mean she knows she's not comfortable with it yeah and and she knows like she knows that it is on some level doing damage to her but she also knows that she doesn't want to die right and and she knows that they have to be teacher or teacher is going to take over everything. Right. So they put her in. I mean, it's it's a wonderfully constructed story moment really because yeah. it's painted her into this corner of uh she has to she has to do and be that which she has consistently throughout the story said she doesn't want to doesn't want to be. Yeah. And yeah. uh having found herself here, she's she can't she, she can't uh, justify it and and I kind of don't want her to right and and like i don't want her to be able to justify it like yeah. and, and and it's kind of on a level good that she can't justify it right it's like yeah this just sucks this is just terrible yeah i mean i i completely agree like i don't want her to get to a place where she's like oh yeah torture great right totally on board long as it works on board i don't want victoria to be that person and i don't think victoria is that person um i just wonder how she's going to deal with the mental gymnastics of this right to how how is she going to deal with the long-term effects of what she just did and not only what she did and just killing a person but now um sanctioning this you know by not stopping it or by not fighting against it at least in her mind she has now sanctioned it yeah right i mean i mean i think she thinks she actually has in, in a way right i mean um, yeah 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 it, 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 yeah it's interesting to think about though yeah so um Ad and victoria have this interaction about instinct which on a level reflects back victoria's own prior statements in a way that suggests that maybe she's come around or or maybe not consciously come around but she's absorbed so you know she's kind of internally changed her mind about how instinct works and how it should be considered because the line she's giving Carrie added is kind of the opposite of what she was thinking earlier. Yeah, she it seems like she's valuing it a little bit more, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um yeah, and I I I really love this whole exchange. Like I I love exactly that kind of callback and that shift in her character, but also um, there's a lot of, there's a lot going on here, right? Like there, she says to carry at it. I really think going forward, you should be able to look back on this with pride. You saved me when I needed it back there. And like, so we have this moment where, where Victoria has just taken a life and, and 
she's coaching Caryatid and saying, you saved me. So so Victoria took a life. Caryatid saved a life. Caryatid should be able to look back at this moment with pride. The, the subtext here being that Victoria will never do that. We'll never mm-hmm. be able to look back at this moment with anything like pride. Um, and to continue the conversation, she says, it was good. I said, dropping my eyes to the floor. It was teamwork. And like, she can't even look at her anymore. She, her eyes fade down. Like that's how bad she's doing. That's how like she's, she's encouraging this person and, and trying to lift them up when she feels so heavy right like it's it's just it's this wonderful moment of like of contrast through like you should feel proud you should feel like you did good you should feel like you made a difference you saved me and i i killed someone yeah i mean maybe i'm projecting a bit but maybe she she feels like she's not a good you know role model to look up for in this in this moment she's she's like i'm i'm giving this hypocritical lecture about how she's good and she just saw me killed somebody in cold blood and like that, like I I must, I must look ridiculous, you know? Sure. I mean, I don't think she does. I think, I think Carrie added understands the situation. Yeah. Yeah. um, But I can see her feeling that way. And I mean, one of the things we're going to see next chapter is Victoria just throw herself in the way of things the entire chapter. Right. And so she's here telling Carrie added, like, you should look back on this with pride. Like you threw yourself in front of me. You acted on instinct, saw one of your friends was in danger and threw yourself in front of the danger. And that's what Victoria does all chapter. And is Victoria going to look back at those moments with pride? Yeah, probably not. (laughs) Probably not. Yeah. And, you know, for for viewing this whole thing as teacher doing jujitsu on them, then like what was the situation crafted to take this very strong brute that is with the heroes and put her in a headspace where she's just going to throw herself into danger over and over until she gets taken out? It could be because I I, I, I do think like, yes, she's going to save her friends when her friends are in danger. But I do think the amount and the the lack of hesitation she goes when just throwing herself in front of the robots in the next chapter probably does have some connotation with not only with this conversation she had with Carrie added, but with the life she took. Right. It's, it's like, you can kind of see it. And this is, this is, I think not textual at all, but you can kind of see the thought process of like, um, I took a life. I need to save lives to make up for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's interesting because I don't think we're off base, even though, you're right that this isn't textual. Like both of us are, both <laughs> of us are wandering into our own interpretations of where Victoria's head is. But I think that's like, Wabo likes to do that, right? Yeah. He likes he, he likes to not spell out. Like like sometimes he does spell things out. Sometimes he definitely doesn't spell things out. But he trusts that you understand the character well enough to to track what is going on subconsciously. Absolutely. Um, what they're avoiding thinking about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And of course, we have to say that while this entire conversation about pride and and heroism and saving people is going on, uh, we're hearing Samuel beat the shit out of a guy in the background. Yes. Yeah. Perfectly crafted. Yeah. Yeah. So Rain then suggests that Victoria go hack into a local box so that they can call Kenzie. I just want to stop in this moment and recognize Rain again, because Rain is observant enough to see Victoria is not doing well and to plot out a distraction for her to help her. And like rain is really kind of like killing it. These last few chapters, like he's stepping up. He's like in the fight, like we didn't talk about this, but in the fight with the big guy, like the big guy was about to charge forward to Victoria, who I think had just lost her, her wretch or something. And rain like threw a, um, a knife or the, 
what the heck is it called? Silver blade. Thank you. The blade at him and uh, made him change directions and turn to fight rain briefly. So like, like he's been, he's been killing it both, both physically and emotionally throughout mm-hmm. these, these recent fights. Like he's observant. He's there. Like he, he seems to be paying special attention to Victoria to, in noticing these things. He's being, he's being the dude. I love him. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's been like a point of stability, like a fixed point of point in space that just kind of, hangs there with its I own see, momentum that I everybody see can... what you're doing uh-huh i see uh-huh. it <laughs> i love it <laughs> no that's I love, good I that's good story. i like that a lot yeah uh so victoria does that she she listens to him because now rain is in her her circle of trust yeah and she gets in contact with kenzie and kenzie's being uncharacteristically quiet <laughs> Uh-oh. uh victoria immediately reads this for the red flag that it is and calls Huddletale to see what's up. And then the pair of them realize that Kenzie has been mainlining uh, uh, her friends saying horrible shit about her behind her back for like half an hour. Yeah, man. So we talked earlier about how like that specific battle, the tension in the battle really worked because bad shit just kept building on each other, right? It was needle lady, then disease monster, and then gravity weapon thralls. Boom, boom, boom. And then I think that's what Wildbo is doing here emotionally right victoria kills a man in cold blood forced to sanction torture turns to kenzie for a distraction and then oh shit the worst the worst possible thing that could happen has happened and it's like boom 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 once again like three emotional attacks right in a row right yeah i mean like in in a sense we we also kind of know the teacher's going after kenzie by sure by making this happen yeah yeah i'm sure those files were just conveniently left there um very easily accessible maybe give it a little challenge to make it feel like you're working towards it i mean not that kenzie needs that much of a push when it comes to reading things about her that other people have said but uh and it's like it's the most devastating thing, right? Because like two weeks ago, Chicken Little asked Candy and Darlene if they ever thought about kicking Lookout from the team and what would happen if they did. Nine days ago, he brought up some things with me, asked me if it was why I was always saying stuff about Lookout. I remember that conversation. Three days ago, four different times, five days ago, I could go back further. Mean jokes and comments from her team. Mean might be understating it. Gutting. Um, and this is, I mean, this destroys you, right? And the thing I love about it is like, I'm not even mad at Chicken Little. Like, Chicken Little had that whole conversation with Victoria about this kind of stuff, right? Where he's just, like, scared and unsure um, and and doesn't know what to do. And so you're like, like, you can't even be mad at someone. You just feel bad. You just feel so bad for her. This is her worst nightmare come true. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, I feel like Tattletale is, is right when she says that, kids are this way yeah yeah. and i'm not saying all kids and and i mean i think victoria's right that to to say like well kenzie's not right and she won't understand it but but the thing is like you said i'm not really mad at chicken little either because i'm like yeah like i i I think that kids they they they're trying things out they're experimenting they don't think through the the implications like and and on, on a level if someone doesn't hear you talking about them behind their back how much does it really hurt him and it's like well it's pretty complicated to actually understand why yeah. you shouldn't do that yeah um maybe requires the experience of having had that blow up in your face once or twice yeah um and even so I mean, you do it yeah. like i, I, yeah. I think Everyone listening to this right now, if they if they claim that they've never talked about someone behind their back, I'd be like, you're lying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you've definitely right. said cruel things about a person behind their back before. And and it's definitely more of a middle school thing to do just because sure, that's kind sure. of where you are in your social development. 
I, I mean, I love the details of, of this exchange between them. I love how it's written. I, I, I just find it to be this wonderfully organic and like, uh, saying a lot with very few words yeah. exchange. Um, Vicky says, I don't think Kinsey's the type to be especially mean to anyone behind their backs. Tattletail says, maybe not. Maybe it's because Imp and I have our shittier sides and we rub off on them. And then Victoria says, or heartbreaker or trauma. I don't know. I meant that she wouldn't understand it like you describe it. Ugh. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's exactly it, right? Yeah. Like, like there's nothing they can say to Kinsey right now to make this okay. Yeah, and, yeah. And you want to know what I like Loki love about this interaction hmm. is like this was a really great opportunity for Tattletale and uh, Vicky to be like grade A dicks to each other. And neither of them does it. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Like Victoria says, I don't think Kenzie is the type to be especially mean to anyone behind their backs. And I think an earlier version of Lisa gets defensive at that. Right. Mm-hmm. Says like, oh, yeah, well, just so my kids are shitty and yours is the best or whatever. But she goes, maybe not. Maybe it's my fault. Maybe maybe I am somewhat responsible for this. And then Victoria says, I mean, maybe, but maybe it's these other things. So she doesn't say like, yeah, it's definitely your fault, Lisa, you piece of shit. Like, it's just like we've seen this relationship between these two women grow and change over the course of the the the, the book. And I don't think they're best friends and they're ever going to be best friends. But there is certainly some sort of mutual respect here where they're not going to like like turn on each other because of this terrible situation where they both just recognize together how terrible it is and seem to want to work together to deal with it in the best way possible. Sure. I mean, this is downright heart, heartwarming. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, like you said, I mean, v- Victoria's never really forgiven her from her for her role in the whole retching situation. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that, like you said, she's come to respect her. I think she's come to believe that Tattletale um, is actually trying to do something like the right thing yeah that's as close Um, as close to possible the least wrong thing i guess yeah Yeah. like like victoria can at least believe that within within tattletale's worldview tattletale is trying to do the right thing yeah uh although that will almost never line up perfectly with what victoria thinks is the right thing but yeah that's better than just like all these other villains that she's fighting who are just you know monsters so yeah 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 so yeah in the middle of this devastation and and uh depression of where you just feel terrible for Kenzie. There is like, yeah, this heartwarming moment between these two uh, parents, I guess. <laughs> I guess yeah. we're going to continue with that, uh, with that metaphor. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and, you know, then Victoria is like, just like instantly like, look, look, uh, uh, she's going to figure out that we, <laughs> that we, that we figured that she's going to figure out that we know this. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to not pretend that we didn't have this conversation. And, and she says to, to Kenzie, I'm sorry you're not feeling great. It's been a shitty few days. We stick it out. We get through this. Swansong and I will have you over for hot chocolate and animated films. How's that? Um, <sighs> look out. I tried when there wasn't an immediate response. Yes, please, she said. Be safe, all of you. There wasn't an immediate response. Yeah. She just invited Kenzie to hang out with her and Ashley, two of her favorite people in the world. And she had to ask again to get her to respond which is like the most devastating, like even the things that like, and that's not even to say that Kenzie's not excited about that prospect, but she's just like 
basically falling apart right now. And she's doing every I think the book even says specifically like that. She thinks like Kenzie is trying her hardest to keep it together right right now. Like like and so she can go off somewhere and fully deal with the implications of this whole thing. And it's just so awful. Yeah. I mean, I don't, it's like if it's like if you've just been dumped and your friend wants to like take you for ice cream, you're just like, I can't feel anything good about this. And you know, yeah. Or you've been like, you've been weeping audibly and then your friend calls you on the phone and you're like, yeah, well, yeah, let's go get some (laughs) drinks later. Yeah. I'm fine. Sure, man. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I like the end of this whole this whole thing is like not only is this moment like absolutely devastating and like you're terrified for Kenzie and like you're so sad about the whole situation and and what it could turn into. But then like the second Victoria hangs up the phone and turns back around back to the problem at hand, she's confronted by the headless corpse and the body of the syringe woman. Right. Like mm-hmm. so, so it's like she goes to call Kenzie for a distraction about what's going on, gets the worst possible news about a person she cares about a lot and then as soon as that ends she's back to the problem at hand it's still right there in front of her and it's just like oh fuck (laughs) Fuck." yeah yeah right i mean it's just one more kind of uh brick in that in that structure of like everyone everyone's being attacked at their weakest point yep yep um and And it's it's certain certainly happened to kenzie just building it's just building on top of each other over and over again um yeah so as we make our way deeper we begin to see dead capes who we recognize yeah. named people who have been part of this story um, from many arcs ago, not significant characters, but people we recognize, we yeah. know them and it, it makes everything feel so heavy and terrible. Yeah. I mean the, the dead capes that, uh, that the, the two teacher capes killed were not people we knew, right? Like we didn't know those people. So as, sa- as sad yeah. and, and tragic as it is, the people are dying it is a lot harder to emotionally invest with people you don't know. Um, and now we're starting to, as we're moving forward, it's getting more and more personal. Like that's a great example of how, how the stakes are ramping up, how the tension's ramping up, how it's getting more and more personal, more and more specific to our characters as, Oh, now it's not just no name capes. Now it's capes with names we know. And then who knows what it's going to be tomorrow. Maybe it's a person she cares about. Um, Maybe it's someone in her group. Like it just like that, that kind of building tension there is terrifying. Exactly. Yeah. Right. It gives a, it gives you a subconscious feeling like, Oh no, we're building toward losing someone we actually, actually care about. Yeah. 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 And I was convinced at this point it was going to be Ashley. Cause I'm like, what, what would the worst thing be for Kenzie to have happen right now? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's the person that she was always scared would leave her via dying dies. Um, and look, Ashley doesn't die, but that could almost exactly happen anyway because of what happens in the next chapter. Yeah, yeah. So as they make their way through droves of bodies, they enter into a wide open space hosting giant water tank things on which are perched saints, angels. <sighs> yeah. Saints. All right, so let's just move into it. I'm going to confess how long it took me to like make the like connection of like angels, saint. Really? Religious imagery. Yeah. I mean, not not that long, but longer than like instantly, which is how long it feels like it should have taken. I mean, have you so. noticed a trend amongst all of our villains that every single bad guy in this book so far has had very specific kind of uh, religious, um, not specific like religious, but like spe- like heaven based imagery, right? 
like angels angels are very heaven based march was going after that the fallen were not entirely christian right but not dissimilar either yeah um, yeah i mean there's definitely a, a kind of a death cult vibe going throughout the story right mm-hmm. it's it's a it's supposed apocalypse it makes yeah. sense um i'm but trying it, to but think it all, of it but it is all like specific like it's yeah. specific light side imagery right like like mm-hmm. it's not like demon fire hell devils. devils yeah it's it's angels shard heaven like the, the it's 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 the 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 light the meaning of light and goodness and and angelic things being kind of flipped around on us uh, i think it's really interesting yeah that's awesome um i want to spend a whole lot of time thinking about that but <laughs> i'm in the middle of a podcast so i'm sorry i'm sorry it's gonna it's gonna move on um 15.5 and we are at the boss fight uh please play the final fantasy 7 boss fight music now all right that's definitely gonna get flagged okay then don't um <laughs> So the angels move in in formation. Uh, they're they're elegant. They're covering one another, uh, which I think should really be our first hint that they have human pilots. But um, I, I didn't pick up on that. Uh, the whole atmosphere of the room is disrupted by the, the like weird tinker levitation tech. And I, I really like how White Weibo writes that description. It's like space itself is bubbly or foamy or windy, and it it, it disrupts Victoria's flight in a way that's very abstract and and kind of fun to imagine yeah i mean it's this great way of like setting the environment both literally and figuratively right um she describes it as a tech that makes the air and empty space around us into a hostile pained windless force like i love i love that a hostile pained windless force i love that idea so much yeah um right it's like the the air itself is is upsetting yeah Yeah. flying through fireworks without heat noise or smoke just pressure pressure mm-hmm. pushing her downwards again mm-hmm. very very pointed imagery there i really like that yeah me too um so this is a pretty epic set piece yeah it's huge we've got these gigantic filtration tanks the size of large buildings covered in pipes and catwalks and amid them are these terrifyingly powerful mechs and like the heroes are just constantly on their back foot this whole fight there isn't really any good cover for them, um, especially since one of, one of the angels has this massive, like effectively unblockable sword laser attack. And another has a halo that shoots down anything that comes close. Um, and another has like an unbreakable hard light wing shield. So like between the three of them, we've got like unbreakable offense, unbreakable defense and yeah. and a whole bunch of squishy capes running around in a in like a really really wide open and exposed terrain that's totally to the advantage of these mechs yeah this is kind of an interesting chapter for us i think matt Uh, just because i think this is probably one of the most pure flat out nothing but combat chapters we've had in the book really Mm -hmm. um it's also like not my favorite of the fights in the book and i don't mean that to say it's bad i don't think it's bad there's plenty of interesting things going on here that we're going to talk about but i think if I'm looking at like the the fights I enjoyed least between Worm and this one, it's the dragon mech fights. Like the, just the 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 big consistency between those is I'm always just kind of eh on these fights. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like like we were talking about how the the difference between this one and the hallway syringe fight, and I think that one just worked on me at a much more emotional level than this this big open space with these big boss machines. Uh, even though the boss machines have like cool boss machine attacks, like they're cool. Um, it just, yeah, it just didn't work on me as well. 
Yeah, I, th- I think it worked really well on me on the level of feeling like, oh, oh my God, like this is horrible. This is this is extremely tense. But like when you when your when your opponent doesn't have a face, it's harder to um, to key into it on an emotional level. I think I, I yeah. think that's probably true. Um, a face or like a like a fetus baby. Yeah, yeah, any anything like that. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, which again, not to say that there's not tons to love here. I think we have plenty of stuff we're going to talk about. Um, I, I just, yeah, it just didn't, it just didn't do as much for me. Mm-hmm. Um, before we we move on though, Matt, we need to continue the saga of Nippoon, who apparently is not called Nippoon but Grapnel, which I guess is fine. Victoria says worked. Yeah, worked. Um, I only bring this up because this is like weird. <laughs> So like Victoria asks the guy, can you give us your harpoons to hang on to? And his response is, can't leave them limp and dangling if that's what you mean. And like, that's a normal answer, right? It's like, oh, it's just a limitation of my power. But then you start thinking about it for a second. You're like, wait, why not? What happened? <laughs> it's just like my brain just like went down a spiral. And I was like, wait, do they just like suck? Ba- uh, ah, ah, ah. Um. I mean, probably like they probably if they if they don't attach to something, they probably just pull it right back in would be my guess. But it seems pretty limiting, actually. You can't just use them as ropes. Yeah. Like that's what's their max range and where is that stuff? Where's that stuff stored in his body? Is it just uh, his intestines? It's it's yeah, it's it's, his whole body is full of it. It's coiled up tightly. (sighs) He doesn't have any organs anymore. Gross. Gross. It's actually it's actually super durable because anywhere you hit him, you're just hitting a whole bunch of cord. All right. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So that unblockable sword laser that I mentioned, uh-huh. uh, Victoria throws herself in front of it. Yeah. Uh, to protect her friends. Right, and, and as we were talking about last chapter, I think this is a really great comparison to. Carrie added throwing herself in front of those needles to save Victoria, right? Um, she extols the, the virtue of Carrie added for being the person that acts on instincts and throws herself in front of something else, something. She does the same thing here, almost the same thing. Like, like I love, we didn't talk about this line back in that chapter, but she said, I just thought if you got hurt, there was no way I'd be okay. And Victoria responds, sometimes that's all it is. Even for capes like legend, probably you were brave enough to move when you needed to move. And Victoria here, after 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 she's killed uh, a man in cold blood, she's watched some child torture another man. She sees her friend in danger, and specifically here, like the, the text specifically says, "Sveta, Rain, even Fumehood are in danger." Impulsively, I flew over. Impulsively, so once again, just like Carrie added, uh, sees her friends in danger, throws herself in front of them because she knows she won't be good if if they die. And uh, and and yeah, I don't think Victoria is going to give herself credit for this. I don't think Victoria is going to do what she told Carrie added to do, which is look back on this and as a moment of pride, a moment of heroism. Um, I I don't think I don't think that's how Victoria deals with this stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it's also her reacting out of instinct to to, to bring back that instinct uh, comment. If she had been a second too late, they could all be dead. Yeah, I like that. uh, Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, she literally is just like. Uh, reacting right yeah. In, impulse right um, I, I kind of like how the text brings up the fact that um, Taylor Kepri used her to tank a hit from Scion because yeah. it's like I mean I, I didn't forget that her force field is like 
arbitrarily powerful as long as it's only taking one, you know, one, uh, one shot. Sure. (laughs) Something it continues, it it considers to be one shot, but, but I can imagine a reader, you know, not, you know, having a podcast about, uh, this, this (laughs) wait, not not everyone who reads this book has a podcast about it. I mean, I assume they do, but, um, and not remembering that like, yeah, uh, the wretch, can tank anything pretty much as long as it's one shot. Right. And so, yeah, like just, just reminding us of that, I think, um, makes some sense. And, 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 and it, and it primes us to understand like, this is a pretty goddamn powerful shot. If, if like her, her frame of reference for it is being shot by Scion. Yeah. And I think it is interesting to me, kind of like, like a window in her state of mind where she links this thing that, you know, I think is this heroic moment of impulsive heroism. She links to a moment in which she was taken and used by someone else. Right. It is not linked to a moment of heroism. It is used. It is linked to a moment where she was used as a tool. And I think that like that gets you into her headspace a little bit. How how she doesn't maybe see that heroism in herself in this moment. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I mean, that that's that's really interesting that we've had these this theme of mind control and loss of agency throughout this story and we're you know, all these characters are essentially reacting to this event where that happened to all of them, right? Yeah. So, yeah. It's yeah, really interesting. So, yeah, after um after successfully protecting her friends, she hunkers down in some mist which silhouettes the solemn outline of the wretch. Um I will note that like I don't feel like a victoria sized shield could have blocked that attack like like the way i'm visualizing it the the sword beam is like large and wide um and would have required a large and wide wretch to fully catch it so if she didn't have this big um inhumanly large force field uh she wouldn't have been able to protect her friends here yeah so the wretch saves the day. Yeah, yeah, sure. Let's give all the credit to the wretch there, Matt. It's a good guy, wretch. It almost makes up for that time when you bit that guy's hand mm-hmm. uh, or that one time when you broke that guy's arm or that one time when you traumatized Victoria constantly as a representative of not only what her sister did to her but her oppressively violent and almost uncontrolled stint as Glory Girl. Turns out you're not so bad. We should uh, invite the wretch over for tea, Matt. Sure. Maybe that would do it. You're being... You know? too fair to the rich get give victoria the credit i mean i'm just saying i'm just saying <laughs> silver linings sure sure matt sure um <laughs> so we do like there as you said there's this moment where um like the 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 rain or not the rain but the water coming down on the smoke like means that the wretch is visible to everyone um and so we get a description of it here that i just happen to love here uh, the expressions on, on the faces were calm, sol- solemn. They had hair, all hair as long as my own, even though I knew that all but one head of hair had been cut short during my tenure in the hospital. Um, so, I mean, that's interesting, right? Like, first of all, we had we, we the last time we saw the wretch covered in blood, it had like a, a grimacing face. Now the faces are like calm and solemn. And uh, I, I think that's an interesting change. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's. It's reflecting something, right? It's, sure. I mean, who knows what exactly? Like, like I, 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 I feel simplistic to say like this is wastes emotional state because I really don't see any reason why the alien shard uh, worm would manifest its feelings on the faces of yeah. the. 
but like yeah it seems it, it it feel it feels meaningful yeah um, and i think the hair part feels meaningful too right because mm-hmm. i mean it shows that this thing is either changing or like it's it's image of victoria was like snapshotted before right like yeah before they cut her her hair off the other heads that was my take i mean we we know that it can't really change the shape of the force field yeah. so my take was it it was it it was at the shape that amy made her body and then it never changed again yeah cool yeah yeah so um balk and sarah's team attack the mechs they get hit pretty hard balk is dead sarah I think she's injured and then she works to bring back the survivors. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I said it was Gong that died, but I was misremembering it was Balk. So short lived hero dead now. Um, yeah. and, and Victoria, I, I, I found this really fascinating because like Victoria audibly screams no when this happens um, and almost like rushes to assist them, but is kind of pulled back by Sveta, who is like, we need you right now. We really we need you. And it's it's interesting like ongoing mixed feelings about sarah right because victoria even in this moment refers to us the woman who was and wasn't my aunt and her reaction there shows that conflict for a moment she thinks that sarah might be dead and she audibly screams out because of that and and i I love this really complicated feeling she has towards this woman who both is and is not uh, a person who's really important to her yeah right i mean it's someone who could potentially become become her aunt right yeah yeah uh and and to lose that would be terrible for her i think yeah so victoria's constant experimentation during combat and her orders to her teammates leads them to discover that clogging up the machine's cooling system uh with fume hoods gas and byron and and tristan's uh water and rocky debris respectively uh severely hampers these mechs uh, and this is ultimately a big part of how they're able to force the mechs to retreat yeah you said you said boss boss battle at the top of the chapter and that's really kind of how this plays out with victoria kind of prodding and poking at the mechs you know searching for their weak point eventually finding it and i i kind of like how the book says like that the weak point is like specifically some saint bullshit right where it's like i don't think a dragon design would would have this limitation on it or something like that i don't remember the exact quote but it's something that kind of like Make made me say, yeah, fuck you, yeah. Saint. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, um, there is this moment that I, I, I wanted to point out, though, because like as much as I like all the, the battle and it's cool and all like there's a lot of wretch stuff going on here, as we hinted at, like there's this moment where she's got she's had the wretch up for a while and it's like reaching out and like trying to rip stuff up and not, just not getting a handhold on it. So she adjusts herself within the wretch. Or, or adjusts the wretch within res- respective to myself, it says, um, to kind of move it out of range of the stuff. So she's kind of adjusted herself within her force field, which she has done before. But in this moment, it put a face closer to my face and put most of the arms out of reach of the pipe. But I just I just love this detail of it put a face closer to my face. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's a moment uh, here where she sees one of the bots ejecting a cartridge a power cartridge and Victoria flies to catch it. And she's talking to the wretch as she's doing this and, and, to, and begging it to work with her. And it does, it, it mm-hmm. doesn't immediately rip apart the cartridge. It just kind of holds onto it for her at least long enough for her to try to try to throw it. Um, and I mean, like this is, this is really interesting, right? Because like we have this moment where imagery where she's, she's moving her face closer to the wretch's face. She's kind of in a way moving closer to 
wretchedness. And and I think I think what this is and, and what my interpretation of it um was the Victoria is feeling more like the wretch than she's feeling like the Victoria right now. Like mm. again, she has just killed someone. She has just sanctioned the torture of another person in, in her mind, whether you want to argue that that was sanctioning or not. That's what, that's kind of how she feels. And I think she feels more like this uncontrollable monster of damage that than normally. And, 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 and to reflect that she almost, she moves closer to the face of the wretch. Her face is almost looking through one of its faces. And I, I, I find that imagery really evocative. Yeah. You know, when you, when you started on that, I wanted to say like, well, I can, I can view this as good. I can view this as acceptance of how things are now with, 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 with the wretch and, and therefore positive, but then I remember this arc started out with this, you know, bared teeth covered in blood image mm-hmm. where we're clearly liter- literally painting the wretch in blood. Um, the associations there are not positive. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think you're onto something there. Yeah, That's I mean, and, and one of the implications of the wretch, like her begging the wretch to be calm and and not tear and rip apart at this thing. Is maybe waste is like yeah <laughs> like i'm happy uh-huh. with i'm happy with how you're doing right now right like mm-hmm. it's like like hmm i want i really want to help you get to get to that uh tyrant victoria that's where i want to get you and mm-hmm. hmm is kicking a man's head off closer to tyrant victoria i think it is maybe mm-hmm. i'll maybe i'll grab that the, i'll grab that car with my wrench and and try to control it a little more in this moment to not rip apart this thing for you you know yeah i mean yeah we know shards do that right yeah. so yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah. Um I didn't pull anything out about it, but before we pass by this this kind of part of the fight, I wanted to mention this bit where um withdrawal gets some of his goo on one of the mechs and they just like have the damnedest time trying to get it off. <laughs> it's good goo. And, and like I, I almost see that as the second beat of a of a potential three beat or or you know, a multi beat, whatever, because we've finally you know, we've learned that this goo is super special. Um in the um all interlude yeah and now we see like yeah it's it's interesting like it has it has properties that seem to bother this this mech or this mech pilot quite a bit um we're we're being reminded that this is a a a factor you know Um, yeah so i I feel like it's going to get used um to some effect like like it, it just seems like a chekhov's gun like we haven't really seen the goo be used in a in a really you know in a way that felt terribly meaningful yeah i think marcia shard like literally says like if he even knew like the power of the thing that he wields right like yeah. like yeah, yeah, I, yeah that 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 did feel like a setup and i agree this is kind of another another beat of that um yeah i think that's fun we'll look yeah. we'll look look forward to that yeah um so hey remember how vicky blocked that unblockable laser sword and then the other angel has unbreakable angel wings uh-huh Who's really good at breaking unbreakable things? I don't know, Matt. Who? Uh, it's it's our girl Ashley. Oh, um, and she gets like super badly injured uh, taking down this uh, winged angel, uh, and then she accidentally, unwittingly, kills the pilot as she does so. Yeah, and this is I think this is the part of the chapter that I want to spend the most time on because it's probably the most important beat of the chapter for to me for sure. Um, and I, I love I really love how this is set up, right? Because 
like the heroes have started to win at this point, right? I think uh, this is after Colt and Love Lost have taken down at least part of the Halo's defense matrix thing, right? Like they've damaged it enough that it's not quite working. Uh, all of the all of the mechs are kind of suffering and and kind of on a starting to back up a little bit, but st- they're still deadly and they're still fighting. Um, but but they've 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 started to win. So like the tide of the battle seems to be going for our heroes again. And we're like, yes, good. We're pushing forward. We're going to make it. We're going to move on to the next thing. And then this happens. And and it's it's so like it's it's such a foregone conclusion that in in the text itself, Victoria looks away. Right. Like she continued to tear into the shoulder with that done. It, I, I would it would leave the mech with the wings as the only quasi threat. And she kind of turns away almost or or metaphorically turns away to move on to the next thing it's like ashley's got it she's going to tear the tear the the arms off that one it's going to be good um and then it happens then there was a gasp a yelp a buzz of an intercom and she twisted around to look and it's this is this hidden cockpit that nobody could have known it was there it's specifically put off center of the heart uh, to to protect it right so you can't just go right for the mech's heart and kill the pilot um, and Ashley has ripped this woman to pieces. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, it's not exactly the same. I actually went back and read Ashley's, uh, the eclipse chapter where Ashley kills her mom, uh, to see if there was any, any echo in the beats of, of the, the wording used here. And there's not, but this is a woman that Ashley has accidentally killed and kind of obliterated into pieces. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it's not specifically textually echoing it, but, I don't think it's crazy to say that Ashley's going to make a link here. So I've, I've accidentally killed another woman. I didn't want to. Sure. And her reaction is, is that she's stunned. Yeah. Um, that's the word that's used, right? Yeah. Which, I mean, it's not like she was in her, you know, vicious, badass mode when this happened. Like she, or, or I mean, or maybe she kind of was right. Like she, she's in battle mode, this happens. And then she's just completely mentally knocked out of it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely, it definitely got to her. It yeah. definitely hit her hard. I mean, and, and, and again, I mean, I don't know. Is this one of those things that was intended, like, like really mess up each of these heroes in their own in their own way? That set yeah. up a situation where you know you're going to lose the mech, so make sure that you emotionally cripple um, one of the more powerful, destructive capes that that you're fighting. I'm hesitant to like attach too much agency I, to teacher, like, like playing this level of chess but because if if he had that level of control why not just kill her outright you right, know right right uh, and, and i feel you there it's 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 there's definitely there's definitely some of this which is just like what wildbo is doing <laughs> yeah and then some of it is what teacher is doing yeah um, well i mean and, and, and like yeah. i think part of it is just like you know yeah you, you you put you put the pieces on the board you, you put them in motion and then you hope that this happens. And and mm-hmm. like like Victoria says here, uh, we've never talked about it, but we both walked too close to that line. Mm-hmm. So like it's just been like they had been skirting that line again and again. I think teacher knows that part. He throws people against them. That's going to make them skirt that line more and hope that maybe this time they walk across it accidentally. And mm-hmm. um, and that's that's what happens. And like I, I love Victoria here because she like instantly goes to empathy mode right like her her first thing is like i get it i thought i really do and then she goes on her talking about you know her why she never wanted to kill um that 
that she never wanted to kill because it would taint her her goal of being this new person, this different than glory girl person. Um, but she she smartly recognizes the difference between the two lives that they just took. Right. To Victoria, the decision was uh, a necessary situation, a teammate telling me what what I should do. I could make peace with that. Um, I, we'll see. I don't I, I think she's saying that. Ashley's situation is totally different, right? Like I, this is this is not a it's not even to say that like what she did was wrong, but it's just a different kind of thing. It's not a sanctioned killing that like everyone was behind you, supporting you saying, yes, this, we have to do it in this case. I'm sorry. It sucks. It's not fair, but we have to do it this time. This was just an accident. Um, and it's, yeah, I just like the next time we see Ashley and, and Ashley, like she's next time we see her, she's on her knees and she's really hurt, like she's physically hurt. So it's like right. it, it, it provides a kind of a great cover to be in the bad shape she's in. But Victoria is smart enough to know that like the wound, the physical wounds she sustained are are not half of what she's going through right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think you uh, I think maybe during your live read or, or maybe when you we were chatting, you said that you when she got kind of hit, uh, you you believe that she might actually be dead at that moment. Mm hmm. Um, which, yeah, it, it did feel like such a dire battle that that we could have lost a, a major character. I, I think so, this is worse. Yeah. I, I do think this is worse because, like, I feel like if Ashley dies in that moment, Ashley dies being the person she wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And now who knows? Right. Like, I, I don't I, I want to I want to have faith and I want to believe in Ashley's change and her ability to to take this as what it truly was, which is just like a freak accident that happens in the heat of battle when a, a machine is like th- th- these mechs were actively trying to kill them and like would have succeeded, killed, killed lots of people like no one on breakthrough, but have killed lots of capes were actively trying to kill her friends. Yeah. I-, I want to believe that she'll be able to get to a place where she's okay with it, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, the, I, it's, it's a thing that she's been struggling with a lot and I, I don't know. And, and it's very, you know, narratively poetic that the moment that Kenzie suffers this huge setback, Ashley also suffers her own kind of setback. And like, so the moment where Kenzie might need Ashley the most might be the moment where Ashley is not going to be able to be there for her. Um, Mm. and it's scary. Yeah. You know, I'm, as, as we're talking about this, I'm flipping through all the breakthrough members and thinking about how Tristan feels alienated and, you know, completely isolated. The only person who's really um, kind of there for him is is Byron. And I feel like maybe he's even a bit resentful of Byron because everybody loves Byron. Mm-hmm. We've got Swan Song. This thing just happened to her where it's basically the closest thing to her original trauma that has happened to her in the story. Um, Victoria, just like everything is everything is hammering on her on her um, ambitions of who she wants to be. Kenzie's just been exposed to the fact that all of her friends, you know, in, in her mind, I guess she might think actually secretly hate her. Um, hey, Rain seems to be doing all right. Yeah, and, and that's kind of what I was building to is like Rain hasn't been completely fucked over yet. Uh, next um, chapter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, and I was like, is, is that because he's is that because he's past some like character development threshold where there's not much they can do to him. I don't think so. I bet they can do something to him. We've got love lost and Colt here. I'm, I'm sure you can find something to do to him with love lost and Colt. Yeah. Um, I mean, just the fact that love lost is here and that his whole, 
this whole thing revolves around having done something horrible to her, I think is ample grounds for for undermining him. Yeah, I mean, um, I think in an arc called Dying, there's plenty of opportunity to deal with uh, their dream room again and whatever mm-hmm. the hell's going on with that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, and we'll then there's see. Byron, who um, seems to be doing okay also. Yeah, I mean, you just lump him in with Tristan, right? <laughs> they, they don't mind it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're right they're, they're pretty much the same person <laughs> oh my god um yeah that, that i don't know that seemed it, it's it seemed useful to me to lay out everyone yeah. and, and say like yeah ev- everyone's being poked at in like exactly the way that we know has been set up the whole story sure. for it to be the the worst thing yeah and i mean joking aside i think tristan's situation does like directly affect byron's so like why well tristan might not be being attacked specifically like against him. Um, this attack on Tristan, what's happening to Tristan affects him just like a lot. So yeah, I mean that, that it could, it could just be like, if your teacher, you look at the Tristan Byron situation and you say, which is the, which is the link that I could really turn the screws on. And, Mm -hmm. uh, at this moment it's Tristan. Right, yeah, or, or 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 even you create a situation. I mean, I'm not saying the story's going to go here, but you create a situation where Tristan is is uh, for some reason reluctant to switch to Byron, which is like yeah, the that's the worst thing you can do to Byron, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I I do I I do think that the the biggest fear here is, and you said this already, but I reemphasize it is that this anger and frustration that Tristan is feeling now uh, pivots towards his brother. Um, that's, that's the fear, right? Like that, yeah. that, and, and as far as we know, that hasn't happened yet, but you could see it, right? Like you could see, especially a, a guy like Tristan who has trouble with, with his anger at times, um, like just being like, and, and a lot of it's like self-hate and self-anger. Like he's, he's mad at himself. He, he feels guilty for what he does on some level. He feels like he deserves everything that these people are giving him. Um, and you know, he, he did a terrible thing. So, but you, you, Tristan is a type of person that does not internalize that anger. He externalizes it. And Mm -hmm. if he points that at his brother, that's going to be a bad, bad time. Yeah. So I'm worried. I'm I'm, I'm pretty worried. <laughs> yeah, just just generally, just some general, just general worry across the board. Yeah. Um. So like I'm not. We're not going to go into a huge amount of detail about how about like the the latter part of this chapter as yeah. they as they beat the mechs because like it's just really cool, very complex and intricate teamwork, um, involving like many different capes doing clever and and brave things like. I mean, this would basically just be like a recap. We'd just be like, yep. And then Rain did something really brave and awesome. And then, <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, yeah. And and, and that's great. Um, yeah. So, but like at, at the, the value that we provide is not just like to recap things. So we're not going to really go into it. But just like this idea that they, they gradually, you know, disable the defensive and offensive capabilities of these angels. Yeah. And then the angels retreat. Um, there is, there is a lot of moments of great breakthrough teamwork that are yeah. like, the the kind of victoria like catching and and throwing people and the Mm. the working in sync and victoria trying to have moments of teamwork with like other people like love lost and love lost being like fuck you i got it myself uh yeah it's it's good it's good but yeah there's not a lot to to dive into really yeah 
And, you know, as things wrap up, one of the mechs uses this, like, speedrunner tech to, like, basically locally reverse time and, re- and repair itself, which is just so frustrating after they spent all oh this energy and, and literally spent lives breaking it. Yeah, um, it's, but, no, but it's no it's fair. Yeah. Yeah, but it, they still it, it win sucks, the right? day. Yeah. Yeah, and in that moment, you're, like, pissed. Oh, yeah, I was I was mad. Maybe that's why I don't like this combat. Maybe it's like, <laughs> it's the book doing exactly what it needs to do on me, and I'm just blaming it for it. It's like... This was pointless. It's like, yeah. yeah, no, that's that's the that's the point. <laughs> yeah. It made me it made me feel bad, so it's bad. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um yeah, I mean that that that's it. That that wraps it up. They mm-hmm. they they drive the they drive the mechs away at great cost. Um everybody's in pretty bad shape. And um and that's it for, for this week's chapters. All this winning sure feels like losing. Yep. So the discussion question. Uh, the discussion question last week was, what is your favorite double bow? I think I did a bad job with this question, <laughs> Matt. I think I did a bad job. So, I I don't know. I liked I all your like, answers. I liked your explanation, but um, there weren't there weren't very many answers, I think, is, is what you're is what you're speaking to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, whenever that happens, I blame the question, basically. Fair, fair, fair. Um, so first. Uh, so so I don't know. Should we reiterate what a double d- double bow was meant to uh, mean? Sure. Um, in my head, it's just a thing that is clearly doing one thing. Like the the point of the thing is that it is setting up something or defining something or or helping understand a character. But under the surface, it's actually doing something else. I think the example in this one was Victoria bringing up Aunt Sarah was a way of of defining you know specifically her emotional state what she's going through but under the surface it was setting up the return of aunt sarah yes so in terms of answers from sarah penguin uh, sarah penguin points out ashley's fashion as a cleverly hidden metaphor relating to items in ashley's past victoria brings up the damage to the hem of the dress uh, to trying to get ashley to change uh, on the surface, it's just a way to get Ashley to wear something different, but it also reminds us of the destructive nature of her power and also hints at Ashley destroying things she cares about. The uncontrollable use of her power is supposed to highlight her unmedicated bipolar and manic phases by showing how bursts of destruction happen without her control and the dress being caught in it shows how this is also self-destructive. Yeah, I mean, I, I like, I, I think a lot of this this uh, Ashley fashion stuff was before we got the Ashley interlude. So it's defining her character, but also like secretly, uh, secretly showing things we'll learn in the eclipse arc later or, set, yeah, or, or setting up, uh, setting us up mentally for that. And in classic parahumans fashion, every piece of information you learn about her power is is information about her, her character, her personality, who she is. Absolutely. Yeah. David Hunt uh, chooses Kenzie and and the whole Kenzie situation with her parents, specifically pointing out um, Kenzie's family situation. The fact that we meet Julian and he's weird and all and definitely a robot, right? He was definitely a robot. Um, (laughs) And then uh, we meet Irene, Kenzie's mother. um, And there are like David says there are numerous instances where we're told explicitly that Kenzie's living situation was not standard, at least sometime before Golden Morning. Sometime along the way, it gets dropped that Kenzie had spent time in the asylum. Houndstooth mentioned something, someone having dropped her off at her foster parents. These examples are always given when someone else is going on 
something else is going on that grabs our attention more. However, the reference to foster parents goes goes flying by buried in a ton of dirt that Houndstooth drops on Kenzie. It seems clear if you're paying attention that Kenzie was living apart from her birth parents at some time. Yet the Martins seem to be her birth parents and they give no indication that it's ever been different. Um, yeah, I really like this. Um, and then March was May comments on David's comment and points out that the, the Kenzie smile was a kind of double bow, right? And that it's doing something explicitly. Um, but under the surface, it's setting up a, a big payoff with, with Kenzie's smile, which is just, it's not the way we, yeah. we thought about it at all. Right. Right. And in, in fact, it led you to make a pretty wrong read. Yeah. Yeah. Vista is best girl says their favorite double bow is probably one of the most long-term Chris's identity. In hindsight, there were so many clues pointing to him being lab rat or lab rat clone, um, but there were just enough red herrings and misdirects to keep 99% of readers from putting the pieces together. More like 99.99 something. <laughs> I think it was like one person who put the pieces together. Yeah. Yeah. That um, one, I, I'm sorry we forgot the name, but that one person who did the lab rat theory and, is, is just brilliant. It's a brilliant yeah. theory. It was great. Yeah. They go on to say, when I was rereading the fallen battle arcs, I noticed something peculiar. Peculiar. When Rain is injured and Chris has Victoria inject coagulant into Rain's heart, she asks how much she should use, and he says maybe half an inch. Uh, she points out in her inner monologue that half an inch is a ridiculous measurement for a liquid. This is very tinker way of thinking because they rely on their power to show them what they need to do. <laughs> That's great. Not to explain the specifics. Yeah, yeah, that is. That is. Um, at the time, it is interpreted as Chris being 13 um, with a lot of experience in stopping a body from falling apart, when in reality, it's one of the biggest clues that he's a biotinker. Not sure if this is what we meant, but it's well-prepared reveal. Uh, I mean, I, that's a great, I never would have caught that or thought of that, but that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and last, because we only got a few of these, March was May says, uh, talks about just in general for worm bullying and mind control. Part of why Taylor feels so reasonable throughout is we have adopted her underdog status. She was bullied. She was always acting in self-defense. It feels like she has some sort of reasonable boundaries because she's okay with Regent making people trip, but not mind controlling them until, well, it's maybe okay. And then both of these end up being the keys to Kepri. Part one, she becomes the mind controller, turning fellow capes into her swarm. Part two, past that, the bullying element. She's like, oh, not over your dead love who died while exchanging information during transit. I have no idea what that's like. <laughs> if I had Eden's flute equivalent, I'd break it. But instead, I'll just show you images of her instead. Um, so, yeah, like that is that is explicitly the things that our our hero was in the first book was struggling with the entire time that was being done to her. Our, our explicit sets up setups, long term setups for exactly the kind of thing she does at the end, the person mm -hmm. she becomes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are the those are the epic like, I don't know, just kind of. I think most people don't get that when they read the story, like yeah. they don't get they don't get the, you know, she becomes the thing that she hated hated and yep. in, in every way um but like once you do get that that's one of the most head exploding moments and like i think that's one of the things that, that makes you be like oh this is like literature yeah, yeah. well i mean it's like the, the cycles have such an important role in the story right like mm -hmm. the 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 whole cycle of the the entities um and then you kind of see that the bullying trauma a cycle. is a cycle mm-hmm Love it. It begets right. more. Yeah. Begets That's more. why I love Worm. Yeah, me too. Anyway, what's next week's discussion question, Matt? 
Hopefully Next it'll question. be better than mine. <laughs> it is, uh, describe an example of a time when a Wild Bill character undergoes change without the character themselves realizing it. So can you give an example? Maybe that's what I failed to do last time was, was give an example of what you mean. Um, well, the, the, the impetus was basically observing Victoria in these chapters and seeing her get worn down um, in a way where she doesn't really have the time to introspect on the fact that sh- that like certain boundaries have shifted for her. Gotcha. Um, and and this this kind of thing happens to Victoria pretty often, so I wouldn't be surprised to get some Victoria references. I mean, I think it happens to Taylor pretty often too, honestly. Like where she'll, I mean, I think a good way of phrasing it is to say like th- they state they state a certain position on something. They state that there's a boundary at a certain place. Suddenly, a couple arcs later, they're way past that boundary. They no longer hold that position, and they never actually consciously or, or verbally disavowed it. Things just kind of escalated, if you will. Um, <laughs> so, but then there's other side characters who I think you could also say the same for. So, yeah, um, that's that's how I would. That, that's kind of the the guidance that I would give. But you know, I, I'm always happy when people are creative and and don't exactly you know hew to the the exact question. The, yeah. The way it's, yeah. Yeah. A lot of the responses this week said something to the effect of not sure if this is what you meant by this. Um, don't worry about that. Answer the question, get, get creative and answer the question the way you want to. Um, yeah. It's more meant to spur thinking than right, to, right. you know, it's not like we're collecting these and using them for, you know, actually we're, book. we're grading you all. <laughs> it's true. I have all of your grades on a spreadsheet and some of you guys are not doing well. Yeah, a lot of you haven't answered any of these. Yeah, what's up with and, that, guys? And you're failing. It's like halfway through the semester, and you've answered zero questions. Yeah. And you're um, late for class. Do you know I still have that dream? I, I do, too. St- I am 33 years old. I have been out of college for over 10 years, and I still have a nightmare in which I wake up, and I realize I just have been forgetting to go to one of my classes all semester. What? I think I've had it about high school specifically, not even not even college. And, and this was recently. <laughs> what, yeah. What it's, what's that about? I it's I mean, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> I'm, I'm done with it. I'm tired of it. <laughs> well, that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions or thoughts on this week's reading. And you can reach out to us via email at gotwormpod at gmail dot com. Or on our Twitter account, at GotWormPod. My personal Twitter is at ScottDaily85. And today, I reminded everyone on Twitter that they once dyed Chris Hemsworth eyebrows eyebrows blonde for the Thor movie. Remember when they did that? That was a good tweet. I remember that. That was a bad call, though. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if I knew that happened, but when you mentioned it, I was was very tickled. And you can also follow Matt at Mordenamail. And he tweets about some stuff like half of Matt's tweets. I'm like, I didn't I didn't get that reference. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure they're great if you get the reference, but I just don't. Matt likes a whole bunch of stuff that I don't (laughs) understand at all. I think my main the main function of my Twitter is to just retweet funny things that I see. Yeah. So so the, the value of following me on Twitter is to have funny things in your feed. And I don't retweet things that make you mad. Because I don't think that that's a positive thing in the world. Does uh, Chris Hemsworth eyebrows count as uh, making you mad? I think that's funny. <laughs> okay. If you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so. 
and never miss an episode. If you're still listening on, you know, episode like several hundred or whatever this is and you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. Yeah, why haven't you done that yet, guys? God's sake. Uh, you can find... You, 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 won't find have, you won't have to worry when we're late, when we're a day late, right? You'll be like, I can't find it. I went to the website. It's not there. You'll just know it's going to... It'll hit your podcatcher. Don't worry. Don't yeah. Worry. Don't, don't worry. Um, but if you were not subscribed somehow, uh, <laughs> iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, any of these places, you can uh, you can listen to the podcast and it will be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, as, as always, yeah. you can find this and all the other shows we do. We're really screwing up this outro. It's late uh, at, at our website, doofmedia.com. That's where you can find the book club that we mentioned at the top of the show. It's where you can find Deep Impact. It's where you can find the Doofcast. It's where you can find Vow to View, which is soon shifting to our OC Rewatch podcast called mm, What You Say. I'm very awesome. excited about it. Yes. Uh, and Deep Impact has just wrapped up arc eight and is going to be starting on arc nine of Pact. Uh, arc eight and nine of Pact are, I was, I think, two of my favorite Wildo arcs, just full stop. Wow. I'm, um, uh, I'm still on arc four, so I'm doing yes. really great. I, I don't, I, I don't feel a need to actually rank them to actually rank Wildo arcs, but I feel that arc eight and nine of Pact are uh, just incredible, incredible uh, pieces of writing, and I can't wait for you to get there so that we can talk about it. Um, yeah, but anyway, if you want to support any of these shows, consider donating to patreon.com slash doofmedia. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. If you support us on Patreon, uh, you'll get tons of great bonuses like voting in our quarterly fan art and costume contests, Q&A sessions with me and Scott, and access to live streams of uh, recording sessions of, of the podcast, like uh, what we're doing right now. And, of course, the Discord chat, which is really quite fantastic. Yeah, and a friendly reminder that that, uh, that Patreon goes not just towards Matt and I and our shows, but any show on the Doof Network, which includes Deep Impact. So uh, that those donations are helping those guys out to continue their excellent work. Yep. And of course, please head over to Wildo's Patreon, patreon.com slash Wildo, and donate to him as well. This is his world. We're just playing in it. And of course, don't donate if you cannot afford to. That is absolutely okay. We don't want you guys to spend all your money. You need food. Um, it's true. <laughs> you can instead help us out by heading on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and leaving us a rating and a review. This week's spotlight review comes from Richard J. Action who gives us five stars and says, it's a testament to Wildbo's skill as a writer that he can make me laugh and bring me to the edge of tears even with one degree of separation. Matt and Scott do a great job of literary analysis, debating Worm's ever-gray morality, and pointing things out that you may have missed on your pass through this epic plus-plus length work. Thank you for for doing this, guys. I've really been enjoying it. Uh, fun fact, this review is two years old. <laughs> <laughs> Because it was on Stitcher when I didn't know that that was a place where you could leave reviews. So, uh, Richard, I don't know if you're still listening to this, but I thank you anyway. Yeah, we appreciate this, Richard. Let us know. Let us know if you hear this. <laughs> um, and that's it for this week's show. We'll be back next week at our normal time, hopefully. Yeah, we were uh, late again. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, guys. I had a sore throat. Sorry. Yeah. Um, with our normal number of chapters again um, to find out which dead people we will meet in the next okay so i forgot i forgot to change the last line of the outro I, and, I, I and you just ron burgundy your way through it. 
I did. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. Thank you.